Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'm joined today by recruiter and workplace expert Bert E. Miller. With over 35 years of leadership experience in the world of work, Bert currently serves as CEO of Protus Global and President and CEO of MRI Network, a recruitment organization offering consulting, training, contract staffing, and community building to over 325 search firms worldwide. Bert, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Corey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Oh, yes. Well, it is my pleasure. And especially because we have so many people in our college age audience, but also non-traditional students as well, going into the workforce and trying to figure some things out. So I think this is going to be a great conversation for them as well. So to begin with, though, so over 35 years of experience in this space, but what prompted you to be interested in working in workplace recruitment and workplace dynamics? Well, first of all, when you say 35 years of working in the world of work, it just tells people how old I am. (laughs) Well, you look young, sir. It's all good. (laughs) It ages me. No, I, you know, what happened when I came out of school, I went to work for the Gallo Winery. And when I worked for the, worked for the Gallo Winery, they put me in a distributor in Indianapolis, Indiana, had the opportunity to work for those guys for about four years. And then a recruiter called me four years later, and I I was open to an opportunity to go work for Revlon North America, based out of New York City. Spent seven amazing years in and out of New York. My home was Indianapolis, but I commuted back and forth to the city. Spent time with Revlon, had six or seven positions in that six or seven years. Enjoyed myself, but at that time, my kids, my my daughter at the point was nine years old and playing softball and and made an all-star team. My son was getting ready to play t-ball. And I had this entrepreneurial bug from, you know, long ago when I used to go help my dad in his business. And so that was the right time in 1995 to launch Protus Global. And that's how, that's how I got here, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, and first of all, the companies you started out with, I mean, so Gallo, that's the, is that like Ernst and Gallo, the same organization? Yes. I remember the commercials as a kid. I believe that was the commercial with we shall serve or sell no wine before it's time. Was that the right was that the one? Well, I don't know. That's, 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 that, Mike, that's a different one, but you're on the right track. That's during that era and that genre of commercials that were coming out from all the wineries, including Gallo. You know, Gallo had brands like Andre Champagne. Mm. They had the wine coolers that came out called Bartles and James. Oh, of course. of course. Yeah. Take Andre for the holidays was the big commercial as a kid. Yeah, Andre yeah. for the holidays. I was a big TV kid. So that's pretty much how I reference <laughs> everything is from a commercial. But, and even Revlon as well, that's a great, obviously a big major beauty brand. So you started with, I guess, the the kind of cream of the crop. So that would make sense as to why you sort of learned so quickly in that world. Now, I know that some of the things you talk about are really things that are dynamic now, especially in the workplace. One of them is this phenomenon we know now called quiet quitting, that everyone sort of does like a, a buzzword. And I think there's a misconception of what that is. So share what your perception of quiet quitting would be. 
I've kind of refused to participate on the quiet quitting thing in terms of the media. Meaning, I, I've I've not written anything on my uh, my uh, my LinkedIn. Yeah. I've I've been asked a couple questions. Uh, I, I did submit one article early, but I, the reason I'm kind of staying away from it, Corey, is I think quiet quitting's been around for a long time. It's been around for decades. You know, somebody went on TikTok, gave it a name, which is that's you know that's what happens, and and we picked up on it. But what I do think it did, it did bring to light for individuals that brought to light to take a look at their career, look at their professional scorecard, scorecard and really decide what it is that they want to do. Are they where they want to be? Are they in an environment that keeps them curious? Are they in an environment that makes them look around and, and dig in and always continue to be learning their craft? If you're not curious and you're not working further to learn your craft, that's an environment you probably don't want to be in. And then for the employers, I think it brought back to light the fact that what we have to do as we are employing individuals is we really need to take a step back ourselves and really assess, are we providing them a true North Star? Is there a mission that they're on? Are they in the right place? And then I think so. I think it's a mutual coming together. So I think that's the good thing that quiet quitting and that that buzz has has created but in terms of of the actual you know action of quiet quitting it's been going on for decades there's been a lot of people that have stayed on jobs and just doing enough to barely get by you know we that's been going on for decades right as we call it they just kind of check out so to speak yeah exactly. and i'm so glad you brought up the the administrative, the employer end, because that was literally a follow-up question I had for you, which was there was so much emphasis put on the quiet quitting from the standpoint of the worker, from the the associate, right? And what I thought was there's something to be said about the studies that suggest when people quit a job or leave a job, they're not leaving the job necessarily, they're leaving the people or they're leaving a manager, someone who didn't provide them with an opportunity. So I think that's a really wise way to look at it. It's a two-way street that maybe both sides can learn from, actually. Absolutely. I mean, as an individual, if you're looking to take a role and you don't want to get in that situation of just doing enough to get by or putting yourself in a vulnerable position that you can't put yourself in by you know living in that type of environment is really look and, and try to, how do I, how do I become the best version of myself? And by going through your scorecard personally, professionally, and financially, overlaying that template on the opportunity that you are considering, your scorecard starts to marry with that. And, and then you have a leadership that is there that you can get behind and, and, and believe in. It's a good market, a good product. You're in a really, really great space. There's clarity around where the organization is going and they provided a, a a story and a path of where you're headed and you can you you can verify that that's probably the place you want to go versus just taking a job right yeah i think so many people make that mistake especially when we all need money i mean obviously so you know you, you get an opportunity for a job and you're like i'm just going to take the job and i think the first time i experienced making a choice was you know for me and this is nothing against people who smoke right but i just cigarettes for me uh, just not my thing. And uh, I didn't want to work in an industry that promoted them. But I was broke as a copywriter at one point, <laughs> you know, and they dangled this opportunity with like more money that I had ever been paid yet for like, you know, Philip Morris. And I mean, it was a really difficult sort of like 
48 hours for me to be like, well, can I, if I, if I'm not aligned with what this opportunity is, how happy will I be? Can I be proud of the work I do? And um, ultimately as broke as I was, I did not take the job and, you know, uh, but it was a choice. That's a good move. Good choice. It's a choice. And you learn something about yourself when you, when you do that. Now, also when it comes to, you know, when you talk about people who have to prepare for, I guess, prepare their resume, which is, I think, sort of different from standing out to recruiters. I mean, they're, they're kind of synonymous in a way, but I think they're two different things. So when it comes to like how to stand out to recruiters to get the job you want, what are some of the things you suggest to people when you're having those conversations? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, I'm, and, and Corey, when I am looking to do my own hiring or I'm looking to represent a talent, an individual to a company, the resume is, you know, I, I really don't pay a lot of attention to the resume. It's just an entry point. And so the question you're asking is a good one. The things that get my attention, are, it, it's really simple. Where have you been? What have you done? How well have you done it? And if you can articulate that and quantify that in really, you know, what I call with brevity, bullet points that kind of give the history of your progression, I look for those types of things. What have you participated in outside interest? And again, the roles you've had, what you've done and how well you've done it. That at that point in time, that tells me a story, at least the beginning of a story. And that will get my attention. Conversely, if I see a resume with large gaps in between roles, misspellings, poor grammar, things that don't really tell a story, it's all paragraphical and and I would have to read unless you're really in a highly technical role or you're a you know, senior fellow in R&D uh, and you have a lot of white papers. But, you know, that you certainly need that. But if you're in a typical role, uh, that would not get my attention. Right. I, I just want to know what you've done, how well you've done it. And that's that's important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, from where you stand, though, I do have to ask because I've been in a situation where I got a break in a, my career at right out of college. And I got that break because a chief marketing officer considered me, although later on I got the job, he sat me down and said, what I want to tell you is that you were very unconventional on paper. And I wonder how often are we, well, now I mean, misspellings, of course you can't have, you know, and that's different. Right. But there are some people who have just had these really strange paths in life. And I wonder about, do those people somehow just don't get opportunities because we are maybe so structured to sort of, as you just said, you know, we, we look for the bullet points we look for, and if they're not there, then we may move on. But do you think that maybe on the recruiting end, there could be maybe more consideration given, look at me, I'm advocating for the people who are unconventional on paper, but you know, do you think there's, there's some room there for more consideration for the unconventional resume? Yeah, uh, perhaps. I mean, I'll give you an idea, give you a, just an example, Corey. Perhaps you, uh, I was talking to somebody that is an Eagle Scout. I mean, his, his kid is an Eagle Scout and he took that entire journey from his childhood all the way. And to become, you know, a top flight Eagle Scout, that is some incredible dedication mm-hmm. to do that. So these are the kind of things you can put on your resume that may be a little unconventional. But they do stand out. Yeah, you're the captain of, you know, the, your 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 sports team. You were, you know, first chair in a in a band or whatever the case may be. These are things you. 
I truly just want, if you can get to the, if I get past the resume, once the, once I'm in front of somebody, I'm interviewing the person, the resume does not do a lot for me in terms of how I make my decisions on people. All it does when you're getting, you know, when you're getting influx of a lot of resumes and people re- reaching out to you in CVs, there's certainly things that you want to take a look at that tend to stand out. And, you know, I gave you mine. And I think that is somewhat unconventional, unconventional because when you take a look at a resume like that, Corey, there's some real distortion, right? What you've done and then qualificate, I mean, you know, what you've done and then your accomplishments and then quantify those very clearly. That immediately, tra- number one, the distortion of the paper and the way that you have those, that, that set up brings the eye to it. Once the eyes to it, then you actually see, you know, how the person is, quant- they quantify their accomplishments. That gets my attention. And at that point in time, I, I interviewed the person and kind of put the resume aside. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of hiring is going to be done from resumes today going forward. Yeah, we're in a very different landscape and people are sort of finding people through very different, there's the term again, unconventional ways. Like I know recruiters who will reach out to people on LinkedIn and it's just because they liked the way they curated posts. And so they were like asking them, Hey, there's a social media director position. And they're like, no, but I work in finance. They're like, no, but I love the way you, and people begin to maybe consider other possibilities for careers because we're in such a vast landscape now of opportunity. And video and telling your story. I mean, you have a different ways of taking who you are, creating that content and you have the various platforms that you can put out there for people to really see who you are or gives you the best platform for you to certainly put your best foot forward. And it's not always a CV. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess, I mean, the main thing that we know about recruitment, typically on the end of the person looking for a job is the resume, um, as we just discussed. But what I asked, I guess, earlier too, is like the synonymous question of, is that the same as getting the attention of hiring managers, right? It's like, or is there some other way that maybe is a conventional way to maybe reach out to, to recruitment just to solicit for an opportunity that, you know, will allow them to at least make the conversation or, or open up the dialogue? Is there a wrong or right way? Are there any tips there that you can recommend? Yeah, well, we, there's been two examples of that just in the last couple of weeks uh, for us. Uh, we... We've had, you know, and, we, and I already talked about one. I mean, you can do it. You can do a video. You can create your content platform online. You can also put a real nice, you can put a nice copy together and have some thought leadership to your point on LinkedIn, tag that hiring leader, and that will get somebody's attention as well. Or you can pick up the phone and, and reach out to someone or have a conversation or certainly provide your number to have a conversation, which was what happened to us a couple of weeks ago. We're interviewing, um, a, a, a kid, he's 24 years old, just coming out of school, and he uh, reached out to us by phone, fantastic, mature, articulate, smart, and did not wait just to send a resume or, or an email. He wanted to actually have a conversation. And just that little piece there, Corey, got our attention enough to reach out to him, and we're glad we did. Wow, I love that because that's a big testament to being proactive not waiting for something to fall in your lap. If you are interested in a position or something, connect those dots and reach out. And I think something that I have seen a lot too, that has been, that's come up a lot with recruiters I've spoken to is there is a, a method maybe that should be more thoughtful um, board maybe for it, but you know, there's a way to reach out 
through email that I think is a lost art for a lot of people. And they don't even use it in that way, but it's okay. I mean, I think right now we're used to getting solicitations. Like LinkedIn has become a, you know, I can't even sometimes go to my inbox. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's just a bunch of stuff. But people are, I think, not utilizing the art form of maybe even handwritten notes or, you know, proper emails that are strategic and what they say, the body of the email, not just like, hey, I'm looking for a job, right? To be more thoughtful in how they do it is really necessary. First of all, you evaluate your scorecard. You see a place that you may, a company that you may want to call home. And if you've done your homework and done your research, there are very, not just thoughtful ways, but thought leadership and what I would call, you're able to be able to communicate to that hiring manager around the strategy or an idea. Perhaps that hiring leader posted something online and you took a piece out of that. And you're able to take that piece of what he or she posted and put a, a very thoughtful message and copy around that and, and include that in your email. You will get their attention. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like some research might be involved to find out more about maybe some things about the, the CEO or the hiring manager that can connect some dots between the two of you. I interviewed a girl who realized that a hiring manager had gone to Syracuse University, which is where she had gone. And so she was like, ah. That's it. But she would not have known that if she had not just done a little more work to find out a little bit about that hiring manager. And then that brings me to the other point too, about LinkedIn specifically. How, I don't want to say important because we know it's important, but would you say that that is a place that is a must be place for someone looking for a job or does it matter if they're not on LinkedIn? I mean, if you find, like, for example, if there's a recruiter and you're looking and they have no LinkedIn profile, are you like, they don't even have a LinkedIn profile? Like, how legitimate are they? Is there a mentality there with recruiters, you think? Yeah, I think there is. Whether, you know, you acknowledge it or or not, um, there is that you certainly have that that position. I mean, look, if you're going to be in the professional workforce today, LinkedIn is the platform. I can't speak, you know, what the future might hold. But today, LinkedIn is that platform. LinkedIn primarily has been a learning platform. And I think people can see through the white noise and all the uh, the people that are on there just posting whatever they're posting. You also get the other people that are able to stand out that provide information or education or a certain level of, you know, inspiration, aspiration that ties to a certain industry or a certain company. And by doing that, you do start to stand out because now you become a thought leader in that space. And so if you're, if you're an individual looking for a role, and I think you've already said it, Corey, what does that hiring leader do? Where are they going? Have they made a strategic acquisition? Have they created a product? Tie all those things back in when you reach out because that's going to show that, you, number one, not only you did your research, but you're, you're able to think. You have a critical thinking mind and how you tie pieces together. And that will get people's attention and see you differently than the other person that is applying for a role or just saying, hey, you know, my name is my name is Bill. I'm reaching out. I saw you. You, know, you have a great company. I'm, I was wondering if you had an opportunity. I'd love to talk to you. Right. You know, generally, that's not anybody's attention. Right. Yeah. That would fall flat. That might work, you know, 25 years ago because there was not so much other stuff coming at recruiters to try to find, you know, a, a strong team. But 
I also spoke to a woman named, um, she's amazing, Mandy McEwen, and she's got like this LinkedIn rock star status as a, a LinkedIn expert. And we discovered in our, well, I discovered in my conversation with her that younger people, like the 24-year-old uh, young man you mentioned, or in that generation, they're a little afraid of LinkedIn. They don't know really what to do with LinkedIn. Have you found that there's younger people in your line of work when you interact with them that you have to like convince them to be on LinkedIn and they don't really think it's relevant? They may be of the TikTok generation. I mean, have you seen that sort of dynamic in your line of work with younger people? Yeah, I think I think so, Corey. I think it's a fair statement. Or they're not sure what to do with it or how to take their persona and create create their message. You know, who do they want to be online? And how do they, you know, how do they communicate? And I think a lot of people are, are a bit afraid, uh, number one, to start writing. Will they like what I have to say? I believe that just getting started is the most difficult part for some of the the younger people coming to LinkedIn. Of course, it is an older platform. And, it's, and there's many other platforms that will garner their attention. You know, there's a shiny new object over here mm-hmm. uh, and there's another platform over there. But from a professional perspective, I do think LinkedIn is the platform. And I also believe the, that those that have a difficult time getting started are those just, they're, just, they're, they're a bit afraid. They may not know they're afraid, but they're yeah. a bit afraid about how their information, their content will be received. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a wise point too, because I think when you talk about that younger generation, they are used to a lot more freedom on social media platforms. And one of the things that she, Mandy mentioned was that some of them have to realize the distinction between, okay, this is not Facebook. So you can't put everything on LinkedIn that that you'd put or TikTok. You do have to sort of, but what we discussed was that when people are looking to recruit, as you started off this, this segment with, you said, you know, it's about looking for, people like you're investing in finding people so that means that you have to build a profile on linkedin and share some of your personal life you know outside of work so you can build the persona and you know kind of make sure people know there's a real person behind the recruit i think that goes a long way as well so yeah i think the tone of your message can be there too and i think i mentioned that you know just a second ago i you know, what, what what I try to do, and I think many people that have had reasonable success try to do it, that garners people's attention. It almost gets you out of a, a situation where you're in the white noise, a room of white noise, and takes you into a room where you can have a one-on-one mm-hmm. dialogue. These people are attracted to learning. And when you can provide them quality information, content, or you can bring an educational point into the area that they, you know, they seek, whatever that sector is, or provide aspiration. Those people tend to, they tend to be attracted by that. And if you have that tone, you tend to build that tone. You're now building your persona as, as a thought leader. You've given so much great advice. So I know it's difficult to whittle it down to one thing, but again, we have a college age audience and that could range from 18 years old up to 60 or so for non-traditional students. One bit of universal advice just for a college student trying to get out into the world and establish themselves in the workplace. Yeah, I'm going to give you three. Okay, um, yeah, give me three. Yeah. One, as, as you're growing your careers and you're coming into not only adulthood, but you know, as in, into your professional lives, do not become jaded. Uh, life is not fair. 
things are going to happen. And I've seen so many young people become jaded through poor leaders that they've had or poor experiences they had. And they allow that to cloud or block the next great opportunity because they're jaded. Oh, that's what I was told before. Therefore, I, I, I don't want to ever be in that situation again. Do your due diligence because you will miss a great opportunity. Never become jaded. You know, I've had a lot of people in my organization over, you know, 30 some years that have come and gone in the organization. And if I became jaded, I took it all personally during that point, that point in time. I would not have continued to hire and put a great team around me because I would have been jaded by those other experiences. So don't become jaded. Certainly the other, the other piece that I, I do want to share is network. Absolutely network. I wish I would have learned to network earlier in my life. I, I didn't realize the value of it until I was probably 40 and I, and I really had to, and I've, I've, you know, it's been terrific for me in my time and becoming a, you know, network with folks. And that is the most valuable. You've heard the term, your network is your net worth. And that's critical. The final one, Corey, that I would give is, man, don't chase money. Do not chase money. Unless it is going to, unless it's going to make you gener- generationally wealthy, don't chase money. You'll always make a poor decision. Find the where you want to be. Find the mission. Find the north star. Find where you're going to become the best version of yourself. And if it, and if you're getting paid ten thousand dollars less at that place, that's like it's really like a, a gnat on an elephant's ass, man. It's just so small. It's irrelevant. By being around the right people and the right opportunity, that $10,000 will come back to you in 10 or 20 fold by being in the right position versus chasing that extra 10 grand. And for young people, I know that sounds harsh because 10 grand means a lot of, means a lot to you when you're young. But if you can get to the point mentally to try to not fall in that trap, you will land in the right places and the money will come. It'll be the byproduct. So those are my three pieces. Well, those are excellent words of wisdom, and I I appreciate that insight so much. And we thank you for being here today with us, Bert E. Miller, recruiter and workplace expert. It's a pleasure to have you here today on Motivational Mondays, and thank you for your time. Corey, I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays, presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success, and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.